Hello and welcome to Calling All Cars from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors. Calling All Cars. It's a copyrighted program created by the Rio Grande Oil Company. Offenders, police, calling all cars, attention all cars, broadcast 143. Investigate a man dragging a body down Franklin Avenue. That's all. Rolling close. wonders why, year after year, Rio Grande continues to get so many contracts from cities and counties throughout the West, specifying Rio Grande cracked gasoline with tetraethyl to power more police and emergency cars than any other brand. The secret of Rio Grande's success lies in the refining process, which is protected by patents. The Sinclair cracking process, which is used exclusively by Rio Grande in the Pacific Coast market. Rio Grande's outstanding success with cracked gasoline has led many other companies to install cracking plants, but none of these are as efficient as the patented Rio Grande Sinclair process. Millions of dollars have been invested by Rio Grande in complicated pressure stills that chew up gasoline so it will start quicker in your engine, accelerate faster, and turn into power without weight. All lazy, slow-burning units are extracted. Naturally, it costs Rio Grande more per gallon to, pro- to process cracked gasoline, but the cost to you is no more, and Rio Grande is rewarded for this extra expense by its growing sales of cracked gasoline, which have outstripped all competition. You have been impressed, like hundreds of thousands of other motorists, by the undeniable fact that Rio Grande cracked gasoline is preferred above all others by the fastest, most powerful cars on the road. Police cars, fire engines, ambulances. When are you going to find out for yourself what a tremendous difference this super-refined gasoline will make in the performance of your car? Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline offers you police car performance in your own car at no extra cost. pleasure to present Chief James E. Davis of the Los Angeles Police Department. Chief Davis. Good evening, friends. The job of being a policeman is a discouraging one. We, whose duty it is to enforce the law, see all too much of the violation of laws, both man-made and natural laws. Sometimes we despair of the human animal. So prone is he to make mistakes, and having made them, continue to do so. It is a difficult task to apply the legal yardstick to cases where natural laws are violated. An example is the case you are about to hear. The murderer was maladjusted to life. The damage had been done to his personality long before he committed his crime called in as we were to investigate, and in a sense, as is always the case, 
sit in judgment upon this fellow man, we could not help realize that he was paying not for the crime of murder, but for deep-rooted maladaptations in his personality, beginning perhaps in babyhood. If so much of the sentimentality and false values, false propaganda and prudishness which goes into our social training could be swept away, if we could be trained from infancy to think instead of to feel, then indeed would crime drop to a historical low level. Then indeed would crimes of passion of the nature you will soon hear disappear completely. March evening in 1930. In a bungalow court apartment in Hollywood, two couples are seated around the card table before a blazing fire. And that gives us game and rubber. Not much luck for the visiting fireman tonight. <laughs> well, you can't win all the time, you know. Well, I really think we must be going. It must be past 10 o'clock. Oh, come on. Let's play another rubber. Sure, Edith. Give me a chance to show this car chalk. I know some tricks. <laughs> okay. Well, all right, but I know you, Harry. You never want to stop. That's right. <laughs> Except when I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> it's your deal, Jimmy. All right. How would you like it? Four aces apiece? <laughs> no, just give me the four aces. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy, look. All right. There in the doorway, the kitchen. A man. Uh -huh. What? I beg your pardon. Can I see you for a minute? Well, uh, uh, sure, sure. Uh, you girls' partners? You better come with me, Harry. Okay. Oh, don't, Jimmy. He looks dangerous. Like a living ghost. Don't be silly, honey. He's probably drunk. Um, uh, come on into the kitchen here. Now, what is it? I need help. There's a woman. A woman? Where? What's the matter? She's sick. Where is she? Next door. You gotta help me. Well, all right. Lead the way. Gee, we probably should have made him wait until the police get here. Well, 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 it's too late now. Come on. 
Come on, we'd better go outside and wait for them. Uh, you girls had better stay here. It isn't such a pretty sight in there. Oh, but Jimmy, I... You don't want to get into this thing mixed up as a witness and all, do you? Just stay in here. Come on, Harry. Hip. Mm, a 
38. Break it open. Loaded. No shells fired. What's your name, buddy? Who's this girl? What'd you kill her for? Oh, I... I didn't kill her. I didn't kill her. I didn't kill her. Any of you people know this man? I never saw him before tonight. And neither did I. He rented that bungalow from me this afternoon, officer. He did? What did he say his name was? Mr. Burns. He gave me a $40 check to cover the rent. It was signed C.L. Burns. Know anything else about him? Well, after he rented the place, he left. But he came back about uh, 5.30 with this, this girl here. He introduced me to her as his wife, and I noticed at the time that she seemed surprised when he said that. They stayed in the bungalow until about 7.30, and then they drove away. I didn't see them again until just now when I saw them uh, this way. How about that, buddy? Is your name Burns? Hey, there's a Ford coupe parked over there. Is that your car? Yeah. Let's all go over and take a look at it. Check that registration page. That's what I'm going to do. Lend me a flash, will you? Yeah. Thanks. It's registered to a dealer in Figueroa. There's a pencil notation here. What's that say? Sold March 23rd to Charles Thomas. So you just bought the car yesterday, huh? Is your name Charles Thomas? Or is it C.L. Burns? Oh, I'm going to book this baby on suspicion of murder. I'll send the morgue wagon out and a couple of boys to impound the car. You stick here until they come, will you, Paige? Right. And you better throw a sheet over that corpse until the wagon gets here. She ain't as pretty as she once was. Captain James Bean of Central Homicide assigns Lieutenant Leroy Sanderson and Aldo Corsini to the case. After a conference with Dwight and Page, the Hollywood Division detectives, they interview Burkhart and then report back to the captain. We can't get this guy to say a thing, Captain. He won't affirm or deny anything. He just won't talk. He's a strange one. There's no doubt of that. But we got one lead. What's that? We found a telephone number in the dead girl's purse. According to the phone company, the number is assigned to a Sally Martin who lives on New Hampshire. Mm Mm-hmm. Better check on it right away. Awful late at night to wake up people, Captain. I know. We've got to get to the bottom of this as soon as possible. Go ahead and rot her out of bed. Yeah. Why, this dame is sure a heavy sleeper. Yeah, if she's home. She ought to be home at 3 a.m. Here comes someone now. Police, ma'am, we want to talk to you. What do you want to talk to me about? We're trying to get an identification. We need your help. Well, I don't see what you have to wake up people in the middle of the night for. I've got to be on the set early in the morning. We're very sorry, ma'am, but this is important. Well, what is it? Your telephone number is normally 7258. That's right. And your name's Sally Martin. Yes. What is this all about? There was a woman murdered out in Hollywood last night. We're trying to identify her. We found a slip of paper in her purse with Normandy 7258 written on it. The only clue we have. You remember giving your telephone number to any young woman recently? Why, no. I, I can't imagine who it would be. Do you know a Mrs. Burns? No. Or a Mrs. Thomas? No. Of course, I've got lots of girlfriends who might have my number, but... I don't know anyone by either of those names. We have reasons to believe those names are false. But we must get an identification so we can go ahead with the case. Now, I wonder if you'd come over to the morgue with us and look at the body. 
when now? Yes, now. Well, of all the... Going to the morgue at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's terribly important, Miss Martin. Very important, Miss Martin. Very important, Miss Martin. Oh, very well, then. You wait out here until I get some clothes on. Here's a slab. Here. Pull down the sheet, will you, Corsini? Well, Miss Martin? Oh, my God. It was one of my God who killed her. That's what we... Ames and McKnight. <laughs> the office for the rest of this, Sanderson. Yes, come along, Miss Martin. Now, oh, here, Miss Martin, sit down here. Here's a glass of water, Miss Martin. Thank you. Now, will you please tell us what you know about Anne McKnight? I first met her on the Broadway Melody set. She was a dancer and a bit player. But there hadn't been many calls in the past few months, and she got a job in a drugstore at Santa Monica and Western Avenue. Was she married? She had been married and divorced. She was married to a fellow by the name of Burkhart. They didn't get along very well. He, he was awfully jealous. He abused her. What else do you know? Well, it's enough to put the bee on our suspects. So your name isn't Burns and it isn't Thomas, it's Burkhart. That's quick work, pal. Yes, my name is Burkhart. William Burkhart. And the woman you killed was your former wife, Ann McKnight, isn't that right? Oh, no, that's where you're wrong. You can't pin Ann's murder on me. I didn't do it, and you can't prove that I did. Well, if you didn't do it, who did? Well, I'll tell you all about it. Ann and I went out riding yesterday, and there was another fellow went with us. What was his name? Charlie Hunter. He used to be a boyfriend of Ann. Where's he live? I don't know. Well, go ahead. The three of you went riding. Yeah. And I stopped to get some cigarettes. When I came back, Ann was sick. The other fellow had gone. I took her back to the bungalow. I thought she was sick. I didn't know she was dead until you told me. Oh, come on now, Burkhart. That's a pretty flimsy story. Why, anyone could see the girl had been shot. There was blood all over I tell you, that's the way it happened, and that's what I thought. Yeah? That's my story, and you'll have one swell time proving anything else. But we will prove something else, Burkhart. We'll prove you murdered her, and we'll hang you for it. Having established the identity of the victim and the strong suspicion of the slayer, Corsini and Sanderson begin the complicated job of spinning a noose around Burkhardt's head. Their first call is at the office of Dr. A.F. Wagner, Los Angeles County Autopsy Surgeon. Well, Doc, what's the verdict on that girl they brought in from Hollywood last night? Yeah, she'd been shot five times, once over the heart, once in the left side, and three times in the back. I extracted one bullet. The others had gone through the body completely. And that smart guy tried to tell us he thought she was sick. The only sickness that poor girl had was uh, lead poisoning. Otherwise, she was a perfectly healthy specimen. You got the bullet you took out of her? Uh, here it is. Thanks. We'll need it. Come on, Corsini. Let's take a look at Burkhardt's car. For the love of... Will you look at those blood stains all over the cushions? Hey, they look. Here on the floor are two slugs. They're flat from hitting the metal on the And then here are two more in the upholstery. This door here. Apparently, he shot her twice, and then as she tried to get out of the car, he emptied the rest of the gun into her back. Well, we got to be sure. Come on. 
We'll take these slugs into Spencer Marksley and find out if they were fired from the gun the boys took off Burkhardt last night. Monday, I met Ann, and we started for the bungalow, but 
We ran into this Charlie Hunter. He rode with us a little ways and then got out. We went to the bungalow and my hand got a little sore at me because I was drinking wine tonic to celebrate us getting together again. But I I patched that up and we went out at 7.30 and we ran into this hunter again. Yeah, quite a coincidence. Yeah. Then, uh, like I told you before, I stopped for some cigarettes and when I came back, Hunter had gone and Ann was sick. So I took her back to the apartment and well, I got frightened and called these people next door. You mean you dragged her dead body back to the apartment? Wrong there, copper. You can't prove it. Wait until you see the photographs of those bloody tracks. If Ann was shot, Charlie Hunter shot her. Oh, don't be such an obstinate fool, Burkhardt. Every bullet that came out of your wife's body and out of that car was fired from the gun we found on you. You can't prove that. <laughs> We've been hanging men in ballistic testimony for years. Well, we swear the testimony you're about to give in this court to be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. Uh, what is your name, please? Joy, Miss Knight Hopkins. You are related to the deceased. Mrs. Hopkins, will you tell the court in your own words what you know about the relations between your late sister and the defendant? Well, Your Honor, they were married less than a year when Anne was forced to divorce him in 1929 because he was so cruel to her and because of his intense jealousy. He threatened her life if she didn't come back to him. Soon after they were divorced, she had him arrested for making these threats. He was put under a peace bond. But Anne told me often that she'd die before she'd ever live with him again. And that's just what she did. Is there anything else you were talking? Has the defendant ever said anything to you about his relationship with your sister? Yes. I met him in the street several months ago. And he said, if I can't have Anne, nobody else will ever get her. I'll see you there. Thank you, Mr. Hopkins. Call me down. Okay. Tell me That's all. Your Honor. At this time, I would like to enter as people's exhibit D this letter written by the defendant to the deceased. His name, his name, and I would like to read just a paragraph from that letter. The defendant writes, So you have been having a marvelous time with E. Men, eh? I trust you have enjoyed yourself to the fullest degree. I guess I am not a he man. I am jealous. Remember, I am still your husband. And remember that you repeated after the minister until death do it part. Now, the word death is written in capital letters and underlined in the exhibit. The letter continues. I myself have formed a firm resolution adhering to that line. Do you understand me? If not, here it is in plain America. Over my dead body only, some other man can have you. I think this document answers the defendant's nearing challenge to find the motive for the crime of the charged. If ever there was a terrible threat, I get to see it. I think so, Honor. The argument for the defense that some other person killed Anne McKnight, or if Burkhardt did do it, he was insane at the time, failed to convince the jury. All testimony having been given, the argument having been heard, the jury quickly reached a verdict unprecedented in California legal history. Please read the verdict. Neither jury find the defendant guilty of first-degree murder and, and 
and recommend that he shall be hanged. <laughs> For the information of the jurors, the verdict of first-degree murder carries a mandatory death sentence. It is unnecessary to add a recommendation such as you have done, and indeed it is the usurpation of this court power that might be construed as contempt. We just want to be and so it was. The jury wanted the proverbial eye for an eye. The twelve jurors, outraged at the crime of murder, wanted it doubly certain that justice would be meted out by the state on the murderer. So it was done on January 29, 1932, when William Burkhardt stepped through the trap door at San Quentin to eternity. Thank you, Chief David. Ladies and gentlemen, every month a half million people drive into Rio Grande cracked gasoline stations to get their free copy of the Calling All Cars News. We invite you, too, to read this unusual publication full of latest movie news, radio news, and illustrated true detective stories of the crimes you hear solved on these Calling All Cars programs. Even if you are not a regular user of Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline, you are a listener to this program, and we want you to have a free copy of the news every month. Drive in today or tomorrow. If you aren't in the market for Rio Grande Cracked Gasoline, you will certainly be interested in the outstanding motor oil value offered by all Rio Grande dealers. In refinery sealed cans, selling as low as 25 cents a quart, you can now get the famous Sinclair motor oil, the same oil that is used for the leading American railroads, by leading airplane lines, because it is de-waxed and de-jellied. All impurities are extracted from Sinclair motor oils to leave a concentrated pure oil that is positively guaranteed not to break down, to give complete lubrication no matter how hot or cold the weather. To protect your engine, even when you're going faster than ever before with speedier Rio Grande cracked gasoline. Rick Lindsley bidding you good night for the Rio Grande Oil Company.